Hello, and welcome to The Game Is About Glory. I'm your host, Steph, and joining me are Gareth and Milo. Hello, gents. Hi, Steph. Hi, Steph. Yeah, mess. Uh, I would ask how it's going, but uh, well, it's going, right? We'll just say that. I think it's probably the best. I haven't been too good this week, Steph. Actually, I've, I've got a bit of um, I've got a bit of Ange throat as well. So please forgive me if I have to go on mute or cough in the background or something. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, well, you've made more eye contact than he has. I might, yeah, get a bit I have... passive, might get a bit passive aggressive if I, you ask me any questions I don't appreciate today, Steph. Uh, yeah, I wonder if this is a, a you know a long term effect of having gone topless and singing at uh, the White Hart Lane. <laughs> when, what game was that? You were you were twirling your shirt above your head. That's Man United. No, it's not delayed reaction to that. It was my son's oh. brought home. My son's brought home uh, cold from from school. Oh yes. Uh, yeah, I've, I've had a bit of a fever and sore throat yeah. and everything. So. And 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 the thing is, Gareth, I wouldn't have known because he's come on here with his with his A game again, hasn't he? You'd never have known. I mean, you look at him; he looks fine. No, 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 absolutely, no, absolutely. not at all. Yeah. Yeah, this is the this is the sort of professional he is—a professional that Ange himself would uh, thoroughly respect, I have to say. But uh, <laughs> anyway. Let's just say that this week we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of Friday's fourth round FA Cup defeat to Man City at the lane. Um, uh, by the way, congratulations to Pep on finally achieving his previously unachievable aim of scoring a goal at our stadium. I Still not an open play it. goal, though. Ah, very good. I like that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, so you still haven't quite done what you really want to do, Pep, so don't get too smug. But anyway, look, we're going to look at not just how that happened, but also where it leaves uh, Tottenham Hotspur for the second half of the season. Uh, we'll also be taking a look at what has been a busy week on the assumptions front uh, with Joe Lewis and Jurgen Klopp in our sights. But chaps, let's uh, go back to Friday night. Uh, this uh, Man City fourth round FA Cup tie and uh, a sort of a new approach we've been taking recently is to nutshell each of our opinions on the performance. Um, so, Gareth, why don't you kick us off with your nutshell of our performance against Man City on Friday? Thanks, Steph. Yeah, it was it was a disappointing night, but for me, having been there live, you can't underestimate just how good Manchester City are. They are the best team in the world at the moment. And it was just a reminder that when, when they can't blitz teams and put four or five past them... Um, as they, I think they threatened to do in the opening 15 minutes or so, um, but they are then masters at suffocating you as well, often in quite subtle and Machiavellian ways, which we'll probably talk about. But for, from our perspective, it felt like a slightly unfamiliar performance based on what we've seen this this year. But I don't, it certainly wasn't down to lack of effort or energy. Um, the application of the ball wasn't there. I agreed with actually with both what Ange and Pep said post-game. So Ange said that we put so much effort into stopping City playing that we didn't then have the same energy with the ball, which I, I could certainly see and I agree with Pep as well really that the pattern of this game was very very similar to actually the last five games when they've been at our place and we've ended up beating them I just think the difference was on Friday we didn't have those world-class forwards Kane and Son who could create those half chances and then actually take them I've reminded myself that of the seven goals we've scored against City in that sequence six of them have involved Kane and or Son with the assist or with the goal so for, for me that was that was probably the um, you know, the difference so yeah d- d- disappointing night but I, I think it's it's kind of understandable and we're just very unfortunate that we, we get drawn against Man City who on the night were up for it and, and, and put in a pretty solid performance By the way I have to comment there's probably the best audio we've had from you all season my word it's robust sounding very very strong there mate but anyway uh milo it's frustrating I, mean, I thought we defended well um we struggled to progress the ball and um i think uh kind of you know 
selection issues. Basically, you know, play, players were absent meant that uh, we had a, a midfield and uh, and front line that weren't particularly well equipped to deal with the problems that that um, City uh, present. And you know, I think as a result, um, you know, you know, we I think we did okay, but we just we just couldn't cut through. And you know, as Gareth said, they're the best team in the world, and um, they they managed to well, they, they you know they managed to manage the game really. Yeah, I, I just saw it as another really important stage in our education as an evolving football club. And uh, I actually felt that we weathered the storm very well. Um, I think the biggest problem with our performance uh, was that we lacked that vital uh, second or two of self-belief at critical moments. That There were critical points in the game where I felt if we believed in ourselves a little more or had a little more... I don't know, positive energy, we'd have, we'd have, you know, been moving forwards instead of sideways or backwards. And I felt that was the story of most of the game. Um, but, you know, again, we have to, we have to acknowledge, as you both said, that we were playing a fantastic football side who know how to smother, you know, how to smother you. And they did, they did that very well. So I, I just look at it as, as another, another piece uh, of our learning jigsaw for this season. Um, and, you know, I have full belief that we will learn from it, but uh, I, I wasn't as, I wasn't as traumatized by it as uh, I think I might have been by another FA Cup exit, if that makes any sense. Let's look at that team selection that you hinted at, Milo, and uh, and, and drill into that a little bit for us, if you will. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, back four, for your first choice back four, back five to include Vicario. Uh, midfield, I think it's probably the midfield that he wanted to select um, against Manchester United, but Decky withdrew at the last minute with, with illness. So, um, you know, the only change in the side was... Uh, Decky coming in for skip in that kind of advanced eight stroke 10 position um yeah other than that it's the same the same team we put out last time yeah the decision was i i, I guess it was skip or or Heuberg. if we were, were all working under the same assumption that madison wasn't available or fit enough to do any more than he he did and I mean, actually i thought he looked quite rusty when he when he came on so um i think that probably decision not to start him was was vindicated on on what we saw um i i guess the other the other option he could have had he could have put skip in midfield and moved kuliseski into the forward line which probably would have resulted in johnson dropping out of the starting 11 that might have been the only other thing that he could have done but there was nothing i was particularly surprised or or, or disappointed about in seeing that 11 it and it, again, it was. It seems like he, he had to do it, but to have the strongest eleven possible, which I, which I think it was, was 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 good. Yeah, I mean, you've both covered the team selection. I'm not going to get into it because I will we'll be discussing where we thought that didn't and did work <laughs> as, as we get into the game. And look, we had periods uh, where we had to withstand a lot of pressure. Um, and so let's start with discussing how we did defend at those moments. I thought for the first 15 minutes, the players that I kept noticing were, were City's front three of Alvarez, Bob and Foden. And that was really apparent in the first 15 minutes that they were constantly on the ball. And it felt like as the half progressed, actually, we did manage to solve that problem. They should remember they had that goal that they'd scored after, I think, six minutes, which was mm. which was fraction line off, offside, correctly disallowed. Um, and you felt from that point that they're going to cause us loads of problems today. But yeah, I did feel that we dealt with that problem and we were able to push them further back the pitch, which is you know, clearly a, a sign of defensively working really well as a team. And I, I think Alvarez, Bob and, and Foden became less and less prominent in the game as it went on. Yeah, I thought we defended really well all the way through the game, really. I mean, I think you know, City only had four shots on target all, all, all game, which, you know, considering their dominance, um, you know, I think it's testament to how well we did. Um, I think, yeah, I think, you know, we managed to force City into, 
you know, parts of the pitch which are you know, difficult to create good chances from. So, yeah, I think I think defensively we did a really good job. I mean, I think one thing I would take kind of issue with, you know, Gareth, you were you know, kind of comparing it to kind of previous home games there. I don't think that was what we set out to do. And I think, you know, part of that is, you know, a testament to how good City are, that they forced us into, you know, playing playing deeper than we probably would have done or would have wanted to do or you know, planned to do. And, you know, the other reason is, you know, we we struggled to progress the ball from midfield into our front line. So again, that kind of thought, you know, get meant that City were, you know, able to pin us back a lot more. Um but yeah, I thought, you know, the back four, you know, defensive midfielders, I thought, you know, did pretty well. And I think look, I think this is probably one of Van der Ven's best games of the season which is uh you know really impressive when you consider he's only just come back from a, a big layoff i mean he he was he was i thought uh, pretty imperious actually uh, back there i thought he was really really uh, just time after time you know not letting things get through not letting things happen um we're going to get into uh, let's just phase this into the next point we're making and i'll sort of make my point off the back of it, uh, we struggled to get into the final third. We did only have one shot in the game. Um, you know, I, I think we've all probably got to take on what the cause of this was. I mean, there, there's several causes, obviously. I think one of the biggest issues for us was because we didn't have a Madison or someone of that creativity uh, playing, uh, you know, Udogi and Poro being able to get forward and being able to get into things quickly is so important and Pep just did not let that happen I mean they just could not get out and I think for all the great defending we were doing you know we were we, we got a lot of we got a lot of the ball back there but we weren't able to progress it quickly in the fashion that we like to do it and y- you kind of have to hand that to Pep He's looked at what we've got available and said, well, they don't have this. They don't have that. We've got these. Mm. Let's just stop. And so, mm. I mean, that was what I saw. Um, I'm interested in what your takes on it were. Well, I mean, it's probably not a coincidence that the inverted fullbacks were something that Pep well, create, <laughs> supposedly created. So it makes sense that he knows how to negate that system and therefore Poro and Udogi not being able to affect the game in the in the usual way makes sense. I mean, also, um, you make a case for the fact that Saar wasn't there. I think Saar really, does really well at... Um, Absolutely. dropping into those right back positions when, when Poro comes inside and that's probably something that Hoiberg and, 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 and Skip wouldn't do as naturally but from yeah from what from watching the game they just suffocated us so you, you think about Pep being this great attacking coach and it's almost as if he's got this laissez-faire approach to how his players attack but actually it's it's so rigid in what they do off the ball and it's you no know, it's not a coincidence they committed so many fouls against us as well um, they commit the fouls to, to break up play but they also commit the fouls because they've got such energy to try and close down those spaces in those defensive thirds that create those turnovers in in possession so we we tried and it looked like players I mean Bentanker in particular misplaced lots of passes but I don't think they were unenforced errors I think they happened because of the way that he was closed down and the way that avenues and lanes were closed off which which made him look like a sort of a fairly average player on the night which we know he isn't yeah, I'll, I'll take this in kind of two parts, I suppose. So first off, in the City press, kind of picking up where you were then, Gareth. Um, City allowed Vicario to have the ball, more or less, and then went man on man uh, as we were playing out. And um, generally speaking, Vic was able to find our defenders, and they were able to play, play a ball into midfield, and then it broke down. And we were constantly um, you know, struggling to get past that. And you know, when you talk about kind of the inverted fullbacks, we only really invert the fullbacks when we're attacking. We defend... A defensive shape is a four-four-two. So, you know, for, for much of the game, we were sat in a in a four-four-two because we weren't able to really to really get up the pitch. Um, and I think this problem is compounded by the selection in midfield and up top. You know, Decky's a fine player, 
uh, but his strength is ball carrying. He's not a particularly good passer and he doesn't have particularly good vision. And yeah, uh, what I saw was when he was getting the ball, he was running into dead ends. And I think uh, you yeah. know, Doggy was um, uh, guilty of this a bit and hanging on to the ball too long and not being able to pick out the, the passes. And then our front line, um, both of our wide players want balls in behind to chase onto. Neither of them can uh, 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 you know, comfortable receiving balls to feet with men between them and goal. Um, and because City were on them and we, we had a midfield that wasn't able to find those balls in behind, we were blunted. Um, so I think, you know, there's, there's a combination of different issues we've got there. And, I, I, you know, Steph, I think you know, your kind of learning curve thing, I don't think that this combination of players will learn from this and be able to change because that is their core skills don't suit that. And I think, you know, if we had other players available, a fit Madison, you know, LaCelso or, you know, Sonny and, you know, and others, then I think, you know, maybe that's different. But I think with this selection of players, we're always going to struggle with that. And I think on Decky, <clears throat> on Decky, um, you know, with, with the team selection, I was a little bit disappointed that he wasn't starting in the front line because I do think he's, you know, this is a point I've made a few times. He does help us hold onto the ball and then, you know, start a second wave of attacks in the front line. And Johnson and, and Werner aren't really able to do that. And I think Decky may well end up as an eight. But I think at the moment with the other issues we've got, and you know, it was forced on us in this game. But I think without uh, more quality in the front line, I think he's needed there. I, I, I mean, first of all, yes, I, I, I agree with I agree with everything you're saying. I mean, it's nutshelled it really nicely. Um, what I will say with regards to the learning curve is, and this kind of ties into what Gareth was saying a bit as well about, you know, whether, and, and you as well, when you're talking about whether Decky plays in the front line or, or doesn't, and if he does, who sacrifices, maybe it's Johnson. I think the manager will have learned that this combination in this particular situation doesn't work. And I think maybe he would make a different call with the team selection the next time, because I think we did suffer for it. Um, and, and I mean, it was, you know, in terms of getting behind it, we talked about this before we started recording. I think we all saw that there were two or three occasions where Werner actually made really good, quick, early runs. And the man on the ball, to your point, Milo mm-hmm. was simply not the person who is engaged in that in that level of, of 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 pass. They just don't see it, or they don't instinctually feel it, or they don't instinctually know it, or they don't instinctually trust Werner. I don't know, but there was a, a, a continual breakdown there. I think the other thing, and I, I wanted to ask you both about this as well. And well, for, before I get into that, Gareth, do you have anything to say off this point before I go charging into my next question? No, I don't think so. No, it'd be interesting okay. to cover those Werner runs, but yeah, nothing I can add. Yeah, I'm interested in what you both thought of Werner and Johnson individually. But I, I still, that one of the things that really hit me watching both of them, and it's been a little bit of an issue, is I think that uh, Werner less so because he's only been with us for a little bit, but I'm waiting for Johnson to have a little more personality about his play. I mean, is that unreasonable? I, 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 there's I, I, a little bit more presence, a little bit more. I mean, Richarlison got none of the ball all night, but, but he was constantly looking looking to be effective, even when not getting the ball. And I just feel if Johnson's not being served properly at this point in his career, he just doesn't, you know, it's all there. But he just doesn't seem to have the, the personality. Is that just me? No, it's not that? you, because I think he's coming to quite a lot of criticism after this game. I, I think it's a little unfair, actually. I thought, okay. uh, I mean, it's, it, you know, I said it, it's not... Uh, circumstances that suit him you know he's not going to be a player who's ever going to take on someone he's not going to you know be able to do that um you know he needs balls to chase onto that's that's his game he didn't get many um 
And I thought that I was quite impressed with, you know, how he stood up to Guardiola uh, um, at times in this game. So Guardiola's a you know, big player, considerably bigger than, than Johnson. He, you know, he got clo- clobbered in the back of the head, didn't he, at one point uh, in a jump. And I thought he held his ground pretty well. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it's, I thought a lot of the criticism is a, a bit unfair on him. And I'm not necessarily saying what you're saying, Steph, but I think you know a lot of people have kind of gone into the game with a preconceived idea and then are kind of mm. you know, picking on him. And so I'm not saying you're doing this, Steph, but that's what I, I was seeing after yeah, the game. Yeah, yeah. No, I understand. Yeah. And, you know, if he doesn't get those balls to chase onto, then, you know, it's not his fault, is it? And I, I'd, I'd also say, actually, I thought, you know, the... Um, yeah, best move of the game and our only shot when um, when Werner put him through and it was a little bit ahead of him. I think, you know, he managed to get the shot away, didn't he? Or, uh, or take it, uh, saved it. But yeah, that was a decent chance. He had a decent cross across the box that went behind people, which I think if, you know, someone was making a run in, might something might have happened on. I think, you know, all things considered, he still created, you know, two or three decent chances in the game, which is as much mm-hmm. as anyone. I mean, I've got something to say, but you should come in, Gareth. I think it's that, I mean, yeah, last time I was on, Johnson to me feels like a player who needs to be at his best where he's playing off instinct and he can do things off one touch, which the, you know, the move that he had the shot from was one of those instances and probably it wasn't quite the right pass for him. Um, but yeah, I, he just felt a little bit overawed in there and I, th- I think probably like all of our forwards that it became apparent quite early on as the game was developing into the patterns, it was that to start with really they had to, they had to think about Putting, um, you know, plugging the holes in the in, in the hull of the ship rather than um, trying to think about doing too much the other way, and probably the game just got on top of them by then that they'd lost that sort of flow and rhythm that they tried to create in advance in in the build up to the game. I, I think it's um, and I think that the points that both of you have made, and I think especially the points you made, Milo, are very fair. And I may be I may be guilty. And look, I believe that Brennan Johnson can become a really important player for us, and and will develop this season. I do believe that, and I want it to happen. But uh, it's really interesting you you called when he got clattered, my God, because for me that was an absolute key moment where I looked at him right before that, and he almost hesitated on challenging for the ball. And I'm looking and I'm thinking just. Go for it. Just make this a 50-50 and let this guy know that he that he's not gonna it's not gonna get away with it. And he sort of tried to pull out of it, and then at the last minute, and I just thought, I wonder if this is indicative in general of his personality right now. And it might be a confidence thing, and maybe I'm being harsh. That's very possible. But I just thought, just a little more, just a little more physicality would be would be tremendous I, in yeah, those I've moments. Got to be honest, I didn't see that. I thought he pressed quite well. I thought he was pretty. You know, he was, he was competing. And, you know, obviously he's quite slight. So, you know, he's not going to, in a one-on-one tussle with a, you know, effectively, you know, centre-back playing, playing on the uh, left-back. Um, it's tough for him. And I thought he did, he, he held his own pretty well considering. Great. Well, and, we, we, and, and that's yeah, the beauty I, of it. We see different things. And I think we all want him to succeed. That's the thing, right? That's I mean, the frustration because you can see it, that crosses that you're talking about. I'm like, oh, just so close. It didn't quite make it, you know. But I think, you know, we've got to bear in mind that neither of those wide players would have started with a fully fit squad. You know, we've got a second, second you know, string wingers out there. And, you know, if Johnson and Werner were coming on in, you know, the 60th, 70th, 80th minute, um, then it's a very different proposition, I think. And, you know, I think maybe we're being a little bit harsh on them, you know, considering what, you know, the, the role they're meant to be playing within the squad. And I think also, you know, in terms of those kind of chances that Johnson's creating, they are the kind of chances that, you know, that you should, you know, you would expect a player to be putting in those, you know, three or four of those chances a game. And it's down to the players in the box to make the right runs in order to be there for them. 
yeah, his his job is to deliver them, and he, he is doing that. It just didn't quite click, and it's you know it's a problem we've seen a few times this season when we're just off form. The balls are always just you know just behind feet or not quite to the spot, and and just happens. The Brennan conundrum continues, but one thing this pod can certainly say is we're all behind him and we really want him to succeed. Let's make that very, very clear, whatever opinions we share on him. And I think that everyone is, every opinion is valid. And Brennan, we believe in you. Um, so, you know, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about uh, Pierre-Emile Hoybier for a moment. Um, before the pod, I asked you both a question because I hadn't had a chance to rewatch the game and I was, you know, prattling on about my, you know, we didn't play that quick ball in when Werner was making these runs. And, you know, to my memory, it was Hoybier who was always responsible, but I know that I'm involved in some sort of perverse confirmation bias, you know, because I pick it out easily. And you both corrected me, um, you know, and said, well, actually, yeah, it wasn't, it was, you know, and you'll go on to say who those people were. You know, Pierre is somewhat of a sticking point for all of our visions, but I mean, did, it was just maybe mine. Did he play better than I thought? His second half seemed a lot stronger than his first. Is he doing a noble job or is he just, are we just like spanning time until he goes? I mean, he's the other one who came into for a lot of criticism, criticism I think. And I think there was some good and some bad. Um, I think defensively, I think he was quite strong. He made... You know, a couple of really important uh, challenges. There was one when uh, I think it was on Foden on the edge of the box where he got back and uh, did a um, kind of sliding challenge, put it out for a, for a corner. Um, I think he really struggled with City's press, and as the game wore on, he made some you know quite a few unforced errors, you know, got caught in possession or misplaced passes. That uh, if City were you know. Uh, a bit sharper would you know would have would have cost us. I mean, the one that led to um, to Berner um, shooting wide, uh, particularly, I thought was was bad. Um, but again, there was a couple of passes earlier in the game where uh, there was one to Johnson where he it, it came behind him, you know, from distance, and those again, those kind of passes really need to come off. Um, so it's a bit of both stuff. I think he, I don't think he had a great game. I don't think he's quite as bad as everyone's made out. We know his limitations. He doesn't have a long-term future at the club. Um, so yeah, kind of all of the above. <laughs> I think it's probably as fair, yeah, as fair away as it can be put. Gareth, mm. he's, he's kind of okay until he's not okay, isn't he? That's the <laughs> thing with him. He's, um, yeah, I mean, quite. if you watch him, I've, you know, one of one of one of my friends have watched him and can't understand why he's not in the team every week. And you can watch him, and he's he's kind of got everything in his in his locker. He he can pick out a good pass. He can do the box to box things. Um, I think probably where he was better under under the previous managers is where because he's a bit of a generalist, but I don't think he's a specialist, which is what you need in in Angie's mm. system. And there's nothing that he does really outstandingly. He kind of does lots of things reasonably well. Um, and then I think in the system you're playing you, you you need every player to do the things that they're really needed to do at an outstanding level and he just hasn't got those those peaks in his locker well the interesting question here is uh for me right now as a generalist and a jack of all trades and master of none is maybe the ruder phrase for it um you know in this game looking back with hindsight would you have picked him or would you have picked ollie skip who 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 takes that role for me i found myself after 20 minutes wishing it had been skip but, I mean, Skip's only played that position once this season against Everton, and he was awful. So I don't think I, mean, I, I think I'm in a, in a minority on this because I think most people think Skip's best position in the other side is six. I don't think he is because I don't think he's comfortable receiving the ball under pressure. And I think um, I think City would have targeted him and pressed him, and he would have made 
just as many mistakes. So no, I don't think so. And you know, uh, you know, Skip's better positions have, have come, you know, come further forwards where he's got a bit more space and a bit more freedom. Um, I mean, I think it's notable that. It looked to me, at least, that we started with our standard four-three-three, and then we switched to a double pivot during the game, and and brought uh, Benton Co back closer to him, um, and Decky you know, moved pushed further up, um, which I think was it's one of our regular changes we make when we're struggling with a press. So I think you know there was an adjustment there, but again, it didn't really work. Yeah, I'm not sure whether you've had Skip or Hoiberg in there. It would have made a great deal of difference. Ultimately, I think if you put Bissouma or Saar in, it's definitely wow. an upgrade and it, it helps us do the things that we would have wanted to have done. But yeah, I, I think it's a flip of a coin really between Skip or Hoiberg. Interesting, because I think that Skip, Skip has shown some really good um, a, a sort of attacking intent. But yeah, who knows? But anyway. not in that position. No, but Not maybe you flip team. it. Maybe you, maybe you rearrange your midfield to get him in there in the position that he does play best. And maybe then, I guess, Benton Core's not press resistant either. I mean, I guess it's just, again, it comes back to not having uh, your first choice midfield. <laughs> I suppose I mean, that's, yeah. and, and that is worth amplifying, isn't it? It is worth I'm, stating. No Sam, no Bissouma, no Madison. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I, I would say Benton Kerr's had most press resistant out of the lot of them. And I think he'd be fine. But what you don't want is, you know, Hoiberg and, um, and Skip are kind of more meat and potatoes players. I think them in midfield with him is pretty stodgy. And I think, I think City would love that. And, yeah. you know, I don't think Decky had a great game at all. Um, but no, he does give you, he, he does give you an outlet. And I mean, actually, you know, that said, I think, I think Skip did quite well when he came on. Um, but, you know, it's not, yeah, I, I think if you started the game with it like that, I, I think City would have suffocated us. Yeah, I mean, you've, you look, you've edged into an area, and, and again, this is all high. Uh, number one, this is all um, as a, you know, it's all opinions, obviously, and hypothesis, we're all in general agreement. But the overriding facts are that we did not have our starting midfield out, and we were playing uh, the best team in the world right now, which I don't think we could. I think we've probably said it enough, and I think we should stated again but but Milo you brought us into the next phase of conversation which uh, yeah it was it was disappointing wasn't it it was disappointing uh, to see Decky um you know just be uh, pretty ineffective I mean uh, you know uh, does anyone have any th- does anyone want to posit any theories as to why this was well, I mean I, yeah I don't really want to repeat myself because I kind of I kind of said my bit on on this in terms of you know our, our struggles attacking um you know I just he doesn't have the passing range and I think I think he can be effective as, you know, that eight stroke 10 position. Um, but with that front line and with the rest of the, um, midfield, I don't think there's enough kind of compensating for his, the weaknesses in this game. And I think right now his strongest position is his right wing. I think, um, you know, he's got that physicality that we, we lacked up there. He, you know, the ball sticks to him. He's able to, you know, create, mm. you know, create time for others to join in attacks. Um, and I think, you know, we're a better team when he's, he's playing there. And, I think maybe we've got a little bit carried away after a couple of you know couple of games at, at in that eight ten role and um, yeah I think you know I, I think he can do that I think in in some some games it's right but it definitely wasn't right for this one yeah. his best moment in the game coincided with our best maybe fifteen twenty minute spell in the second half and I can remember him going for a run up the right wing and he held on to the ball where really he had no right to hold on to it and one of their big gormless defenders came and fouled him right on the touchline which didn't result in anything from the from the free kick but that's exactly what he does he uses his, his, his body well which I don't think was a quality we necessarily recognised in him and, until not so long ago so particularly with Kane no longer around um, he has that ability that he can get you 15-20 yards further up the pitch but yeah that, that did coincide with probably our best 
spell in the game, which was in the in the second half. But I think, I think he was still playing nominally as a central player at the time, wasn't he? I can't remember the chronology of the subs, but I don't think at any point he went across to play on the right. I think the best thing he did in the game was that from the first from the, the whistle at the beginning of the game, he ran straight out of the field and clattered Diaz, <laughs> ran into him, knocked him over. That was that was his best contribution, I thought. <laughs> Yeah. And and again, I think what's fascinating is that, you know, a player of his caliber and his talent, I think, you know, you can't underestimate how important it is to be, you know, the players around you uh, have to be of that caliber and they have to be ready to, to slot in and play the way you play. And you're absolutely right. I mean, he, you know, <laughs> there wasn't enough around him to compensate for what he was, uh, you know, what he was uh, can't do. And yeah, I mean, if I, I would like to have seen him on the right, I'd have liked to have started him there. I wouldn't have started Johnson. I mean, I'll say that just clearly. I would have loved to have seen us have Johnson off the bench, especially against a team like that. I think it would have been the way to go and we would have got a lot more out of him. So, so just a quick correction. He did end up on the right, Gareth, because um, uh, Johnson and uh, Benton Kerr came off for Skip and Madison. Yeah, okay. Yeah, which is something else. We never actually saw um, Benton Kerr and Madison on the same pitch at the same time against Mayor City. And, you know, I think that Benton Kerr's obviously that must have been game management. It had to have been. I mean, he did a lot of work. Um, but I will say, I thought there was still a fairly noticeable, considering it was one of Rodrigo's more average games for us, still a noticeable drop off when he went off. But uh, that may also have been to do with uh, who City brought on. I'm not sure. Um, you know, let's talk about the physicality here uh, of Manchester City. I don't think it could be underestimated. There is a lot uh, of, of, you know, quick fouling. I mean, there were a lot of fouls. Uh, Tactical fouling, I think they call it. Uh, You know, Pep was Mm -hmm. giving no quarter, was he? And uh, they were taking uh, every opportunity they could to crudely stop and snuff out any notion of attack we might have had and uh, doing it very effectively. I think Vicario and Diaz have been tussling for the whole game i think that was something that they they recognized early that you know they were going to get on with um obviously it was the tussle with vic in the build-up to you know the city goal that i think caused the goal i don't think there's any two ways about that yeah i mean kevin de bruyne put over a nice corner i mean the way it's been spoken about it's as though you know jesus delivered the fish and loaves and you know it's been overhyped as everything with him is at this moment um but i i think it's a mistake by vic at that point uh, do you think the goal should have stood? Um, do you think that this was a foul? Let's discuss it. Yeah, I, I, current climate, I don't think it was a foul. That was my that was my take in real time. I've not really seen anything subsequently that's changed my mind. It just seems to be the way that they're they're going. I mean, PGMOL who come up with the interpretations a bit like what's his face off the far show, aren't they? This week we will mostly <laughs> not be giving fouls on goalkeepers, and then next week there'll be an outcry about it, and they'll change their mind, and every goalkeeper will get a foul from. But at the moment, that's that's not the case. So that climate, I didn't think it was. I mean, I thought the Cario actually had a bit of an iffy game because I think the goal that was disallowed in the, in the early on in the game, I think he probably should have done better from the initial shot. It got away from him um, from the first shot. Again, I know I'm saying he saved a shot from point blank range, but uh, he would have hit some bad. And there was one in the second half where it came across and he gathered it and spilled it and then managed to get on top mm. of it again. So I'm not quite sure it was his it was his best night, but yeah, I, I would have been very disappointed had we scored that goal and it been disallowed. And you know the way that um fouls against goalkeepers are being interpreted at the moment yeah i mean the the decision on that was consistent with the way that the ref had ref the rest of the game because someone was on vic every single corner all the way through and you know when it went to var if it's clear and obvious it's got, you know, it's got to be based on the ref 
not seeing something. And I'm pretty sure that it was Paul Tierney, wasn't it? I'm pretty sure mm. he saw that because it was treated exactly the same as every other corner in the game. And I think, again, I think this partly comes down to us. You know, we could have put a defender between Diaz and, uh, and Vicario. We could have put Romero in there to give him a shove or, you know, whoever. Mm. Um, I mean, it's actually, I think it's the first goal from a corner we've conceded this season. So, you know, all things considered, we're doing all right defending them. I think the other thing to bear in mind, actually, with this, I, said, I watched the game back today and, and the goal I've, I've watched back a few times, you know, kind of super slow motion, so I can see exactly what was happening. And it's uh, Van der Ven who's got Ake. Um, he's, he's passed around a few times. I think he's, he's a, um, it's Madison and it goes to Richarlison and it's Van der Ven who's got him. And it's Van der Ven at the point the corner's taken. And Ake pushes Van der Ven back to just inside the line. And when the ball drops, um, Van der Ven turns around to watch the ball and Ake gets in behind him and, 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 and taps it in. And I think if Van der Ven had been watching the man or not allowed him to be pushed you know, six yards deeper towards the goal, then maybe that doesn't happen and um, Romero's got a chance to clear it. So I think there's, you know, there's quite a lot going on there. And, you know, as you said, well, both of you have said, you know, there was a lot of tactical, tactical fouling going on all the way through the game. I think Silva got, did four tactical fouls before he got a yellow. Um, you know, Diaz got away with, um, like, well, smothering Decky to the ground and then got a yellow card about five minutes later. Mm. Um, you know, he... <laughs> If he if he'd been done for the first one, then you know maybe maybe he's not there to to uh, to um, uh, to tussle with uh, Vicario then. And uh, you know again, this is something a point I've made quite a, quite a lot this season. I think we've got to get got to get better at managing refs. I think we've got better got better at kind of influencing and then putting pressure on them. Um, and we yeah, that that's, we didn't that's, we didn't really do it yeah. in this game. Well, that's 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 the point I wanted to come in with. Is I think that really the mistake that Vic made in that goal was not trying to clamber over. Uh, Diaz to, to to catch it. I think the mistake was not immediately going to ground at the first shove and making sure that the referee comes over so as a discussion can be had about what's happening. Um, and that we don't make a bigger didn't make a bigger deal about this earlier in the game. I think we need to be smarter and cuter in reading the temperature of our opponents. And you know, Manchester City. That, that, look, I have no complaints with what Manchester City did. That's that. I mean, that they're the definition of a side who play great football and they also bend the rules a little bit. You know, their their tactical fouling. That that's how it is. It's tough and it's hard. You need to play to that temperature. And I think that we, I think there's another learning curve for us. And I'll have no problem losing this game to that goal if we learn from it. And if the next time someone goes and stands on Vic, you know, we do put a defender in between and we do make a bit more of a fight of it. And we do let the ref know what's going on. But I will have a problem with it if we don't. We have to learn from it. Mm. Um, but yeah, no way. If that goal had been disallowed for a foul, I'd have actually been embarrassed. I really would have been. You know, it doesn't even have to be Vic. One of the other players can go over and just kind of poke yes. him in the chest and say, leave him alone. Yeah, and, just you know, create they, something all... for the ref to come over and say, what the fuck's going yeah. on here? Or, you know, <laughs> Vic, Vic pushes Diaz to the ground before the corner's taken or something, and then he kind of makes the point that he's Do being shoved around. You're right, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, Any of yeah. it, yeah. Um, so, so, yeah. Milo, you, you fact-checked me on, on Decky playing on the right in the second. So let me just fact-check the, the corners. I've just looked it up. We've <laughs> Officially, we've conceded three goals from corners this year. The first one was against Everton when Andre Gomez sort of picked up a loose ball at the back post. It didn't really feel like it was a systemic problem. And then also the Brighton goal, the one that Esther Pervin scored when he Larratt won in that 
technically came from a from a corner as well. But on Friday, that was the, we conceded fourteen corners, um, which is the most corners we've conceded in a single game. And I, I, when you start talking about law of averages, then particularly when you've got players with the ability of De Bruyne to put them into into dangerous areas. So I don't think the the problem was necessarily the way we defended with the corners. I think it was just the sheer volume of them that we were conceding or giving them the opportunity to put on a sixpence. Yeah, I agree. I've got to I, I've got to ask. I mean, you bring up his name. Let's just spend a minute. I mean. Look, Kevin De Bruyne is a great player. I mean, blah blah you doobity do, yada yada. You know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be the idiot that says he isn't. But I mean, is he really the Messiah? I mean, when he I, came on the football pitch, do you think he made the difference? Because I think he made a difference. But I think mm. when you've got Jeremy Doku, Kevin De Bruyne, uh, and God knows who else they had out well, that Well, Greedish didn't come was, on, did he? Greedish didn't come on, but they had like four very fluid attacking players yeah. at that point, to my memory. I can't even remember who else they had out there, but it was a not inconsiderably powerful lineup. I mean, was he really that vital to this win? In your I, opinion, I mean, no, I, I think we were all scared, certainly in the stadium at the time. And you look down, it's still nil nil, and then De Bruyne's warming up, um, and then eventually comes on. And I mean, anyone who watched Man City at Newcastle the week before will remember he did come on, and they were already they'd already turned the screw by that point. But he really was the difference. I mean, that the, the assist that he we scored, didn't he? And then he got that assist for um, for Oscar Bob to get the win. And you think right. if he comes in and has half that level of impact against us, then it's almost certain going to be curtains for us but no but I don't think he did and you know people criticise Hoiberg for giving the ball away on the edge of the area but he gave it away to De Bruyne so he, you, you've got to criticise him for not finding the, the corner from what, 12 right. yards out because you'd have expected him to so it probably wasn't his best performance but Again, it's just the you know the ability that he has, particularly from from you know from a dead ball. He's going to put that on a on a sixpence, and perhaps a you know a lesser player puts that half a you know a few inches higher or lower, and it gets cleared yeah. at the front post or, or goes over everyone. The foul uh, by Diaz yeah, or I mean, non foul on a- him is, is, is irrelevant, isn't it? But aided as he was, we should say the place of that corner aided as he was by some some jostling and some uh, some shoving that, uh, as as we've already said, had been going on for the for the whole game, and that we hadn't been calling any attention. To so nobody on this pod is complaining about that goal. Um, the, but again, as long as we learn from it, um, I mean, let's let's just carry on. Uh, yeah, what, the, the, what about the subs? I mean, in the end of the day, were they the difference? I mean, I, I don't know if there's, I mean, I think it's probably a question that answers itself by the what the result was when they came on versus what it ended up being. But uh, but I wonder if it was as much about who we took off and who we were able to bring on versus City. Yeah, well, I mean, clearly Madison had a limited shelf life on on Friday. So, what did he came on the seventy third minute? So, Ange probably thought he had twenty minutes in him. Um, beyond that, on the bench, yeah, there weren't any other senior players, were there? Um, Dane Scarlett came on right at the end, which I, I had to remind myself about. Um, Skippy obviously came on, and then we had some senior players on the bench who were, who were defensive. So Ben Davis, Dragushin, Emerson, all could have come on, perhaps in slightly different circumstances for us. But yeah, City's bench, so De Bruyne and Doku did come on. Grealish was an unused sub. Um, Rico Lewis was an unused sub. I mean, even A John fine Stones player, probably by the gave way. him different options. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, of course. Rico Lewis, great player. Yeah, no, I've, re- I'm, I've not seen him live in the flesh yet, but yeah, mm. really exciting player. Um, but Nunes, who they signed from Wolves, who's a 50 million player midfielder. And you know, John Stones, even, you, you would back who would probably pick out a pass from from, from deep position. So yeah. um, it, it, was, it was a little bit scary. And it was just a you know, reminder that we had at least 
what, you know, three players who would have made a big difference to our matchday squad. And increasingly with, with five substitutes and with, with additional time on there, your squad depth and the players you've got on the bench make a, make a difference. I did feel that we, we probably weathered the storm as the second half went on, but it did feel that that momentum shifted back again, probably in the last 15 minutes and City were going on really strong. And I guess probably a draw suited, suited neither side. No, absolutely right. So City were always going to go for it, and they they had the ammunition off the bench to you know, to turn to. I think I think you're right in saying the devil is in the details in these subs, right? I mean, De Bruyne comes on; he's had an extra week of getting back to some level of fitness. Doku, of course, um, you know, is I, I don't know he's his zero to sixty, you know, miles per hour is insane. I mean, he's just got instant impetus. Madison, brilliant. We fantastic to see him back, but he definitely was a little rusty. And then we have to also at the same time take Rodrigo off because he mm. maybe needs a rest. And so those those very, very slight margins, I mean, you think, well, Madison comes on another week fitter and Benton Core maybe can stay on. Maybe it's a, you know, they're fine margins. And, and when you're playing the best team in the world, you do need these margins to be mm. on your side, right? Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it did make a difference. And yeah, as you're saying, you know, Madison clearly was, wasn't match fit, wasn't match sharp and wasn't able to really have an impact on the game when he came on. Yeah, but I, I, I'm grateful that he got on because it, it does, you know, it's a vital sort of 20 minutes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, in his, quite, quite the proverbial 20 minutes in his legs, uh, which at this point was tangible and really important. You know, that much closer to a return. I, I, I still don't know if I'd start him on Wednesday, to be honest. But uh, that being said, really important to see him climbing and getting to that point. So, yeah, with, with two games this week, I would be tempted to bring him on for the final kind of 30 against Brentford and then yeah. hope that he's he's fit for the weekend. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't think he can play 90 minutes in both games. Mm, no, definitely not. Well, I think we've all sort of covered what we think of Man City, so I'm not sure we need to get into that too much more. <laughs> it's not, you know, it's, let's not make it, you know, the, the Man City sort of tribute pod. I mean, you know, whatever the reasons behind them being the best team in Europe slash the world are right now, the facts will set us free and the facts are that they are. So I guess we'll leave it at that. But, oh, I don't know. I'll posit this again. I think if we have our, you know, if you have your SAR, if you have your Basuma, if you have your fully fit Madison, uh, and if you have your Sonny, wow, that's four really important players. Fancy that. We played Man City in the Cup this last Friday, held them till like the 89th or whatever minute. Your seventh minute. Um, without, without four of our starting players and four starting players who are extremely important. It would be important to anyone, but especially mm. important to us. So let that be a statement um, uh, f- for this game. Uh, how Im- how disappointed are each of you that we're out of the cup? Yeah, well, I mean, look, I probably romanticise the FA Cup as, as as much as anyone. Probably me and you, Steph, would, would be on a bit of a pedestal with this one. But I mean, I do I do think the fourth round is probably the last round that you can go out at without a significant emotional investment. I think once you start going into the fifth round, you start to plan your route to the final, don't you? And you try and pair off of off teams. Um, and so, so you don't you never want to go out in the third round. So fourth round is probably that sweet spot where it doesn't it doesn't last for, for too much longer. Um, Cup ties, by their very nature, contain a heightened sense of, of jeopardy. So one of those flip-of-the-coin decisions, which you possibly argue their goal was or, or wasn't, you know, cost, you, cost you dearly in, in the league, you can recover from that. Look, win, win, and, there, and off the back of that, winning a cup is so much down to luck. And I, I keep emphasising this point, but winning cups is, is, is down to luck. So Chelsea have gotten this... I'm not, I'm not going tinfoil here, Milo, you don't need to cut me off, but um, Chelsea <laughs> are obviously in the League Cup final. Um, they are potentially... They've got a draw with Villa... Um, 
they've had seven they've been they've been involved in seven cup draws this season and each of those seven they've been drawn at home and that just go and they've obviously got to the league cup final it just goes to show how important luck is and we've now had was it 33 years of, of hurt since last winning it and we often have ourselves to blame for going out and I heard an interesting stat last week that in the last five seasons up until this year the average league position of the teams that have knocked us out has been 18th which has included Sheffield United and, and Middlesbrough so there's a certain amount of self-infliction on that on that um, we've had strange teams of selections we've sort of frozen on the day against the likes of Everton and, and Portsmouth um, but sometimes getting knocked out is just down to the bad luck of the draw and it's the it's the first time since we got beaten by Arsenal in, in 2014 that we've been drawn against a team who were objectively better than us so um, I of course I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed but you know ultimately there can't be too many regrets about it we, we put out a strong side yeah. the, um, it was just the wrong time this. to draw against him Milo who's prepared this safety blanket to, 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 and he's bitterly disappointed you my, can hear that but he's mitigated it with a, with a nice blanket of uh, facts there my favorite <laughs> bit was him, him rationalizing it being the best time to get knocked out of the best round to get knocked out of the competition it's we love him we love him uh, we love it mate <laughs> absolutely love it <laughs> But you, you, can you disagree with that though? You don't want to get knocked out in the semi-final, do you? No, uh, and you don't want to get knocked out in the third round because then then you, you know, your your no, season's over no. by the middle of January. I have my own view on this altogether. I'll get into that after Milo. But no, another thing you said is disagreeable. I'm just poking a little fun at you. That's all because I can sense the disappointment is bristling. But this this new rational. Well, no, you've always been rational. That's unfair. This ra- the ra- especially rational uh, Gareth that we got there was was something to behold. It was it was excellent. I loved it. I mean, it, look, if anyone is depressed about the, the going out of the cup, listen to that, and you'll feel a lot better. I do. I actually do feel better, and I didn't feel bad to start with. So, take it as take it as sort of being a, it's a, a compliment. Um, yeah, I'm just obviously disappointed not to get silverware. I think um, we had the pleasure of ITV broadcasting it in the UK, and before the uh, beginning of the game, Sam Matterface was saying it was our last chance to get silverware this season. And um, caught myself screaming, "We're going to win the league, you cunt!" So, um, <laughs> very good, love it. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, I, I mean, obviously disappointed to go out. Um, you know, tough draw at this stage. I mean, you know, I said before, I think um, cups are a lottery, and you know, both in the draw and you know, funny eighty seventh minute goals like that, which you know sometimes would be disallowed. And after playing really well, you know, one-off games quite often the best team doesn't didn't doesn't win. And I'm not saying that's what happened on Friday because the best team did win, but um, you know, quite often that's the case. We moan about it, you know, iffy decisions or you know games that have been won against the run of play, mm. you know, frequently on this pod. And you know, every every football fan recognises that. But I think there's a kind of um, you kind of put it out of your mind in, in, in cup competitions and then suddenly think you hear it all the time don't you that you know if we get past this then we're going to be one of the favorites to win it and stuff and you think well actually you know you know when you've got a you know a game where only one one team can go forwards and then you've got another one after that and another one after that and another one after that and you know what have you the chance of you winning it winning it is is pretty slim and but we we just forget that so yeah i mean yeah disappointed but i don't think that you know, cup competition should be taken, you know, prioritized until quite late into the in the you know once you're into the kind of semi-finals, quarterfinals, when those odds have narrowed. 
And, you know, I also agree with what Angie's been saying that, you know, winning a cup's nice, but actually, you know, what we need to do is get ourselves to a position where we've got su- sustained success. And I don't believe that winning a cup is necessarily a springboard to that. I don't no. really subscribe to this kind of oh, winning mentality or those kind of stuff. Uh, and, you know, what we need to do is we need to build a team that can consistently consistently challenge and ingrain the style and, and everything so we can do that. And then winning cups becomes, you know, you know, byproduct of that. So, yeah, yeah and I we're mean, not there yet. Look, look, Hull City were in the cup final, uh, you know, what, seven, eight years ago. Look, I, I, I saw us win the FA Cup over Man City when the FA Cup was a, was a huge trophy, not this sort of like middling sort of like suspected pathway to winning mentalities that it is now. I mean, uh, you know, I saw us win the 100th FA Cup final against Man City. So anytime they managed to eke out a result against us, I, I sort of am magnanimous about it and somewhat gracious, you know, it's like, okay, good for you, you know, especially after that and especially after the Champions League, you know, let them have their day in the sun against us in the cup. Go on, you can have it. I mean, I, I, I it didn't, you know, for me, it's part of a learning curve, you know, I, I didn't bother mm. me that much. I mean, it should probably bother me more. Top four is more important to me because I know where football's is and I know where it's going and I know where we need to be and we need to be able to 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 get the finest players and the finest young players and to do that probably going to need to be in the Champions League so much more yeah. important I'm happier to see a cleaner schedule Gareth in terms of uh you know cup exits to Man City um uh, yeah probably the most embarrassing one that I remember and you said you know I can't remember you were saying something about anticipation I just remembered the 4-3 mm-hmm. and I remember you said that's it you said you know you don't make your plans you know, until you're in those latter stages. Well, by God, if I wasn't on the phone at halftime to Johnny uh, when we were 3-0 up, actually booking my... I, I mean, I was, we were planning which hotel we were going to stay in. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at, at, at what time, when I was coming over for the next round, you mm. know, and so on and yeah. so forth. And uh, but just, just to that, was a, detail, that, that was a cup exit. That was a cup exit and a half. I mean, that, that was 20 years ago. This, this, and I, and I, I blamed myself for it for a decade. I'm like, if I hadn't <laughs> made that phone call at 3 0 yeah. up and tempted the finger of fate, we would we would have gone through. That's it. Blue yeah, Paris. although just the detail to add to that one, the hotels that you would have been booking for the next round, and this had often forgotten, was actually was it, it would have been a fifth round tie and all conquering Man United side where we yeah. would have yeah, gone yeah. and got our tummies tickled and got beaten 2 0 anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Barman in my local pub was a City fan at that time and he's, he was at the game and he'd been messaging me during the game, giving me grief, and then I got. I got a lot of stick for him from a, for a long time afterwards. It was um, oh, I bet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember being at Main Road for the when uh, when when uh, when uh, sharing a missed penalty to avoid a, mm. uh, to avoid an absolute what was already a riotous situation to avoid absolute yeah. bedlam. Yeah, I mean, we have great cup history with them and and I've got to say overall, I mean, the, the whole you win some you lose some, I don't know. I I I just I couldn't get upset about it. Uh, you know, in the bigger picture, I, I, I've, we gave a fairly decent mm. account of ourselves, given the context that we've given the game and the parameters of it. We learn, we move on. I'm sure that someone's going to get mad about it, uh, us saying that, but that's my that's my thought. So <laughs> anyway, I suppose one positive and one negative in 30 seconds. Um, so for me, I'm just jumping onto the back of that one. The negative is that it's another week or month of idiots on social media sending trophy memes um, or lack of trophy memes. <laughs> 
And but yeah, the the positive moving swiftly back on um, was Abe Madison got back on, and that's his that's his return to full fitness, hopefully. And then Van der Ven looking so sharp, and some of the challenges that he made on the recovery and on the on the cover didn't look like a player who had suffered a pretty significant hamstring injury. And the way that he plays, or the way it allows us to to do all the things that we want to do, and to play on the halfway line, and that that can only be a good thing that he is is back as part of that um, you know back five that served us so well for the first ten and a bit games of the season. Um, my negative is kind of losing at the death. Really, I thought you know we'd done done pretty well to hold in there. And it looked like it was going to go to a replay. And, you know, I take, take your point that no one really wants a re- replay, but it'd be better for us than it would for them. Um, so, yeah, that's the, that. And the positive, it will be the last time this season we'll be on ITV. No more Sam Matterface. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, I, I think my positive is that it's one game closer to actually being able to hopefully pick, uh, you know, our first choice uh, eleven. Um, a, a very important juncture of the season when we can go on to get the top four spot, which I think uh, has been our aim from the start of the season and must be our premier aim. So it's, it's you know, we're, we're one game closer to that. And yeah, very much like yourself, the negative is that, you know, we lost it in the last minute, uh, if not quite technically, certainly proverbially. Um, on the flip side of that, I suppose another positive for me was that we didn't have a replay. So, I, you know, yeah, I don't know. One game closer to a full squad. How's that? <laughs> to the to the our, our chaps coming back from Afcon, which is going to be a, a really big boost. Because I think I think this was a game where we really did miss Saar, didn't we? We missed everything he brings. And, mm. and to your point, Milo, it was probably one of those games where Bissouma would have really shown how important he is when he's on song and on form. So anyway, and um, I mean one piece good news piece of good news with that is that um, uh, Bissouma and Saar have been drawn in the same. Mm-hmm. End of the draw with um, mm-hmm. in Afcon, and uh, they're playing tomorrow and then Tuesday, and then if they meet, or well, they're meeting at the weekend. So at the very least, one of them will definitely be coming home next weekend, which means they'll be available for Brighton, and potentially mm-hmm. if one of them goes out, you know, tomorrow or Tuesday, it might be available for for Everton. So at the very least, yeah. we're going to have one of them back for the weekend after next. Yeah, and Milo, to take your sentiment as well, Agent Jurgen is doing his best to make sure that Sonny comes home after two weeks, not four. Yeah, he doesn't know what he's doing. Long may that continue. <laughs> <laughs> In fairness. Um, anyway, OK, uh, so sure, there you go. That's Man City wrapped up. Do you want to carry us on, mate? Sure, I pick up the week that was. Indeed. OK, so Antonio Nusa, not really Spurs news this, but... Um, on Sunday, news broke that Antonio Nusa will be joining Brentford and loan back to Club Bruges for the rest of the season. Evidently, Nusa has been uh, given assurances by Brentford about game time next season, um, and he felt that this was a better next step in his career. Um, you bothered about this, or already looking forward to whoever else we might be might have identified? Um, I've, I, I think we've got to apply the same um, theory as we did with. Um... Radu Dragushan, who chose to come to Spurs ahead of Bayern Munich because he felt he would play more football and it would be better for his career development to do it. So I think we've got to see Noosa through the same prism. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess ironically, Dragushan has played what six minutes while Eric Dyer has gone out and now played a game and a half for, for Bayern Munich, which might have been Dragushan's minutes. But um, no, look, look, I understand it. It's not as if we've been gazumped by Brentford. It's not as if you know another team's gone in and you know and offered more money and and high us and we. We've not been prepared to match them for it. I think it's a player and his agent who sound like they're they've got their heads screwed on and have chosen 
made a pretty sensible decision and I think Brentford are you know a really good club that they'll develop in but I'm not quite sure tactically how it all how it'll work he doesn't seem like a Thomas Frank player but I think that sort of caliber of, of, of club will give him really good opportunities I didn't actually realize he didn't play that often for for Bruges does he he sort of dropped in and out of their 23s side I mean, obviously they rate him very very highly but He's very young yeah yeah I, mean, I, I think just just briefly on Bayern Munich, you've got to bear in mind that uh, Jürgen Klinsmann is doing his best to um, lose Eric Dyer his place in the side as well by <laughs> finishing the Asia Games early and uh, Asia Cup early and uh, bringing Kim Mun Jae back there. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what you think, Steph. I, I think um, our uh, second choice signings so far have been pretty fucking good. So I'm sure we'll have another few targets lined up. I mean, I think it comes down to trusting the, the you know, what the work we've we've done and what we're doing. And, uh, you know, I, I look, I was disappointed because I really like him as a player. Potentially, he's got an enormously high ceiling and he seems to fit what Ange wants. But equally, uh, as you said, Gareth, you know, this seems to be a footballing decision. You can have no complaints or arguments with that. Uh, you know, it's, it's a decision and a choice. It feels like we did the best we could. And as you said, Milo, it's not like we put all our eggs in one basket these days. That's not the way we operate. Let's see what comes of it. Um so, you know, a little disappointed, but not not bothered, you know, we'll yeah, see what happens. And we're not able to and, and shouldn't give guarantees about game time. Correct, 100%. And I think there's also a case that, you know, whilst he's really promising, you know, he's going back to Bruges for the rest of this season, you know, he, he might need another loan. You know, if he come to us, he might have needed another loan next season as well. You know, I'm not sure how Premier League ready he is or, you know, certainly whether he's ready to be starting games for us. And really... You know, whilst that is definitely the profile of player we need, we need someone who's ready to be first choice in that position next season. And thirty million is a lot for a player who might not be starting in that position for a few years yet. Yeah, to your point on that, I made started to make these, uh, you know, comparisons with Oscar Bob because we have the same generation of, of Norwegian player. And you look at Bob, who I, I you know, I seen here and there you know with Man City like everybody else and I'm just really mm. impressed by what I see I mean potentially he's brilliant but we forget he's been with Man City he's not just been there for a couple of months he's been there I think for at least a season I mean these, these mm. there's been a lot of work on him so I think you're absolutely right mate I don't think it, it would have been right at all to have conceded to any demand of that nature because I think he will need more yeah so yeah, yeah. well as City proved by being able to leave 100 million pound Jack Grealish on the you know on the bench that they have they they are able to stockpile players there's there's a there's a real allure to City both I guess financially and for footballing reasons because you're going to go and work with Pep Guardiola um, we're not quite in that same boat I mean I don't know whether you quite say we've had our fingers burned with with Brian Hill but I guess he was a player of a similar profile um, when we signed him you were signing him very much for his potential more than anything else um, so I suppose with, with that in mind you think well are we going to end up in a position in a year's time where he's not really coming on and affecting mm-hmm. games because he hasn't quite developed physically as we thought we would and actually we're sending him out on six month loans here or here or there and he's clogging up his position in the squad so again some more not really Spurs news Jurgen Klopp shocked everyone by announcing that he was leaving Liverpool at the end of the season um, press inve- inevitably have linked Ange to the job because he was a childhood Liverpool fan um, are you staying calm about this or um, did you have a kind of moment of dread when you first heard the news 
Gareth? I, yeah, I, I hadn't particularly linked it until one of you put it on the, on the WhatsApp group. And we've established that I'm the Eeyore of the group. So that should be my go-to um, first instinct when I heard it. But it but it wasn't. I think partly because I'm, I was really convinced that Alonso seemed like he'd be the obvious yeah, first choice to go there. Um, I, I, I don't necessarily think it is. I'm not sure that Liverpool would savour having the um, having the conversations with Levy about compensation packages as much as anything else. And I think he would drag it on so long that Liverpool would probably be best going for a candidate who's going to be more um, more, more available in his club. Yeah, well, the wonderful thing about Tiggers... The wonderful thing about Tiggers is Tiggers are wonderful things. And I never thought of Postacogla going to Liverpool as remotely possible because he's at Tottenham and he loves us. And I'm jumping around and I'm so delighted by him. And it's great. And it's wonderful. And it's great. And honestly, it never really crossed my mind until people started putting two and two together and, and, and getting sort of four and a half, if not five, in my opinion. I think we have to believe that Andrew's, um, Andrew's a man of principle. And I don't think his principle would, would allow him to ditch us after one year. I just don't think he's interested. Um, I, I will. I do just want to say this at this juncture as well. I thought it was an incredibly brave, and I think we all discussed this. It's not my sole thought. So, uh, but I, I think we all agree. Very brave of Klopp to come out and and basically admit that he doesn't think he's going to be up to doing the job for them next year. I think it's very brave. Yeah. I mean, yes, it's smart in the sense of I'm sure he's going to get an extra five ten percent from the players um, this season. You know, it had the air of something he had to say because it was about to leak. I mean, you yeah, know so. that you had to. It feels like he didn't really want to, have to say it until the end of the season. But but regardless, very I think very brave in this day and age to admit, hey, I can see that I'm coming to a burnout phase and I ain't up for it and I don't want to drag anyone through my yeah, my performative bullshit uh, as mm-hmm. it will be at that time because I would be performing an act that I don't feel I can do. So kudos to him. Yeah, yeah no, I agree with mm-hmm. that. I think we've all probably been in a job at some point in our life where we're phoning it in and it's a, it's a, it's a brave step to say, actually, I'm, I'm not giving it my all. I need to do something different. Um, so, you know, all credit to him. And, you know, from his point of view, he's got the potential here to go out on a high. You know, they've got a League Cup final. Um, they're in the group stages of the UEFA Cup, which you'd, you'd have to think they must be one of the favourites for their top of the league at the moment. Um, I, I think it's a complete unknown how the players react to it because some of them might start thinking about, you know, their futures and, and what have you. You just don't know how it's going to happen. But, um, yeah, it's... Um, if, you're, if, if you're Mikel Arteta right now, you're sitting there you're watching Man City just starting to hit that horrible like rate of just smooth acceleration that sees them in the outside lane. You're seeing Liverpool get an extra little hit maybe off Klopp announcing this. You're just running as fast as you can on your hamster wheel thinking we're going to do it this year. And then you're like, no, we're, we're fucking not. You lost, you, you lost me. Imagine you're Mikel Arteta. I've been off to the, been off to the kitchen, got some bleach, and I'm dousing myself in it. I, do, I feel dirty. And uh, well, I do like to get a bit grimy once in a while. It's 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 a perverse thing. I, I need to, I need to work on that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to bring that to this pod. I apologise. Talking of grimy, Uncle Joe Lewis has pleaded guilty to fraud in the US. Um, he's been accused of tipping off his pilots, uh, pilots, assistant and girlfriend about companies uh, so they could profit from investments. Sentencing has been set for March with a, um, so the, the sentencing guidelines say 18 to 24 months uh, imprisonment. Uh, judge will determine the final sentence. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you'll get some, you know, that reduced because of his age and what have you. So uh, Spurs have been very keen to point out that Lewis is no longer connected to the club, having passed his shares in Enoch, the company that controls us, to a family trust. Um, that he's not a beneficiary of in 2022. Um, anything to say on this? 
I do. I mean, look, it's 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 not very good, is it? I mean, it's grimy, as you said. I don't think any of us approve of it. I think we're a pod that collectively does agree that anyone who has that amount of money is certainly not going to come to it in a clean fashion. I mean, you can't avoid you can't avoid some chicanery if you've got that amount of wealth. I think it's impossible. But one of the things I point out to anyone who says, "Well, you know, Spurs," isn't it? I mean, he never actually never actually gave us a penny out of his own pocket, did he? I mean, he never actually stepped up and said oh here's 200 million here's a here's a roman abramovich check for you so he's yeah whoever's connected with him has unfairly benefited from it and so on and so forth but i'm not so sure we have <laughs> doesn't doesn't mitigate what he did i mean it's still a, it's still a shitty I mean, thing and he should I, be punished but you I mean, know of all the insider uh, dealing um cases i've been aware of tipping off your pilots and your girlfriend with no personal gain to yourself is kind of at the lower end of it i suppose but i mean yeah like you said i mean yeah. <laughs> and you're not wrong. Yeah, in the pantheon anyway. of financial crimes being committed by businessmen around the world. <coughs> uh it's uh it's 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 a bit weird, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, and finally, uh we've moved up to eighth in the latest Deloitte Football Money League, leapfrogging Chelsea. Uh, and this covers the financial year twenty two twenty three. The league measures income of clubs around Europe, and we should probably remember that we will have benefited from Champions League income uh during this period, but Harry Kane's transfer to Bayern Munich falls outside of that or come in next year. So yeah. Um this puts us as having the fourth highest income in the Premier League behind Man City, Manchester United and Liverpool with a gap uh, with a gap to Liverpool just fifty million or what's that a handful of Beyonce concerts I don't know 8th in the Deloitte Money League and the Spurs go financially marching on aren't they (laughs) (laughs) I I think it does show that the kind of the stadium and I mean a lot of the um, kind of sponsorship and stuff like that commercial revenue has really climbed up as well so um, I think there's some suggestions that we might leapfrog um, Man United this year in terms of stadium income as well so um, and I, you know, and I know people moan about it, but I think you actually are seeing that invested in in the in the side. Yes. We, you know, the the amount we spend on transfers, kind of pre and post stadium, are markedly different, and we're we're regularly spending, you know, a hundred and hundred and fifty million um, most summers now. And yeah, it's, I, I it's increased just, markedly. I'm just so relieved that we don't have a stupid stadium name. I say, I'll say yet. I, I I hope we never do. But it is one of the silver. Well, I don't even know if it's a silver lining to add. It's 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 a golden fact that we don't. You know, we're not some stupid like you know the crypto arena or something. Some somewhere here in LA that's called the Crypto dot com arena. I mean, imagine having that as your venue name. I mean, you know, mm, I, I shudder to think of the what the Ponzi Bowl. The period. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd love to know. I, I, that's one thing I'd love to know. I'd love to know how near the misses have been for us in terms of stadium sponsor name you know i mean i wonder how close we've got to like you know the burger king stadium or something like that i mean it's you know we've got to do some yeah. ferreting chaps i'd love a list of the of the names we got close to doing so yeah uh, no all, all i say on that is you can't look at it in anything other than positive light in the way that the club has been run over a number of years um, I think when you when you link that into what's going on at the moment around the Premier League and other clubs around profit and sustainability, and we're going to come out yeah. of that very well in the long term. You'd have to say that our current owners have um, have done a marvelous job in developing the business side of the football club, which by all logic will only transfer itself into into success on the pitch in the long game. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah, and I think it it bodes very well when we start twenty twenty four twenty five in the new X arena. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> that would be just how how much would how many baths would we have to take to even step into or showers would we have to take? Right, it's to a good job I didn't. It's a good job I didn't move that bleach away after the Michael Arteta comment, Steph. I can, <laughs> I'm dousing myself again. Fucking hell, I'm doubting myself, mate. I think I'm going into some very, very dark and dank corners. So uh, let's just say it's uh, thanks very much, chaps. It has been fun. I obviously need a a shower uh, very fast and a a bit of mental correctitude. Uh, And by the time I've had that, we'll be back next week to chat about our games against Brentford and Everton and to catch up with the latest transfer news and rumours. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you then.